Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll be at tonight. Uh, we are um, excited to be able to meet over here, just like Josiah said, be able to celebrate what Christ is doing. And thank you so much for uh, flexing with us tonight and uh, getting here. And I believe that we're going to finish strong tonight. And I believe there's some things that we're going to lean into. And if you've been following Christ a little bit of time, I think that there's going to be something that you can grab a hold of. And if maybe you're just coming here and you're kind of checking Christ out, maybe you got invited by somebody that you go to school with, or you work with, and maybe you've heard about the man Jesus, but you really haven't leaned in and learned a whole lot, I believe that tonight is going to be something for you to grab a hold of as well. And we're going to look at, I would say, the secret sauce of Christianity tonight. But before we get there, um, I, I got to go on vacation a couple of weeks ago. And uh, what we did is we went to Branson. Um, and so when you get in my season of life, like that's, that's it. That's, you know, it's awesome. And so... You got kids, and you go to Branson, and you pay a lot of money to go to a swimming pool, all right? And so that's all that matters. When you got a six, a five, and a one, it's like, let's look at the pool. I don't care about Table Rock. I don't care about it. What's the pool like? And so we go to the pool. You can see my Elizabeth right here. She's got her goggles on. I mean, she's ready, right? Yeah, oh, she's so sweet. She's hitting that slide. And, 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 and it was so much fun. We got there. We spent a lot of time. And, and, uh, and, and also vacationing with, you know, with my, my size people, my kids, man, it can be stressful, and we put on more sunscreen, you know, that, than you could imagine, and, and we get all the kids there, and they're all excited. But I want you to imagine with me real quick that we show up to this pool, okay, put your imagination on. We show up to this pool. It's already stressful because, again, we've been up since 6 a.m. because the baby, Anna Joy, she just likes to wake up early. And so we've been up. We've been, we've been getting sunblock on. Kids have been dying to get to the pool. We're like, the pool, we've got to wait till it's open. And we finally get there. We got floaties. We got all kinds of stuff that is not necessary. We get there, and then there's a sign that says that my color of skin is not welcome. I'm like, you know, there's a rebel heart inside of me. And so it, if there's a sign that is up that prevents me from getting to something, I'm going to be like, I don't care about that sign. So I want you to imagine, I, I push the sign away. I'm like, all right, it's all good. And my kids are like starting to learn how to read. And they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. And we go ahead and I'm like, let's just play. Let's, I mean, we're on vacation, right? Let's just go ahead. You know, I want you to imagine at that point, I mean, I'm in the pool. I done got my kid and they've, done, they've been down the slide one time. And we were, we're laughing. And then somebody comes out and says, sir, excuse me, sir. Uh, your kind isn't welcome here. Uh, excuse me, do what? You know, I stand up with a hairy chest. I got that dad bod now, right? Do what? Your kind is not welcome here. And I say, well, well my kind is about to be up in your behind because I am, I, did, I done paid money to be here, right? And you can imagine with me, like, how, and, and I, like, I want you to imagine that I know Christ, I'm a pastor, and if that happened, I would be like, let me give you a piece of my mind, my kind ain't welcome here. And they're like, there's another pool. I'm like, that pool ain't cool. Yeah, there's another pool, that's for you, where your kind can go swim. I start there tonight because that was the climate of the 1960s. Just a few decades ago, that, that, that what had happened in our nation's history is that some things had, had not gone right and we had enslaved a group of people. And, and then in the 1860s, we had this big war. I don't know if you've heard this before. If you're not from America, it's called the Civil War. And, and we had this big North versus South thing. And then what came out of that was called the Emancipation Proclamation, where once at one point in time in our nation's country, um, men that had dark skin and women that had dark skin, African-Americans, they were considered one-fifth of a human being. And then in the 1860s, we finally woke up and said, hey, all men are created equal. And we've been saying this since our country started. So we started living that out, or so we thought. And then almost over a century later, in the 1950s, the Supreme Court said, hey, it is against the law to segregate. 
But that's not how the South played. And so in the South, there was still segregation taking place. And so there was this man, his name was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he led this movement that took place because he was tired of sitting by while his people were oppressed by something that was now considered illegal to do. And so he had every right as an American to stand up against this systemic racism that took place. And so um, he, he gathers people and he starts saying, hey, we, we've got to march. We've got to do sit-ins. We've got to push back against the woes that are happening in our nation. And so he goes to a place called Birmingham. And if you've never been in the South, Birmingham still has racial tensions around it today. And so he goes to Birmingham and he orchestrates this movement to take place where he gathers predominantly African-American people, but people from all races that are standing up and they're saying, hey, we're going to march and we're going to take a stand against these things that are taking place because it's not right. He gets imprisoned for it. Brother has done nothing wrong, but he gets thrown in jail and then he writes this letter. It's a famous letter. It's called Letter from a Birmingham Jail. If you've never read it, you should. And, and in this moment, he was, he was being um, challenged by the white preachers. He was being challenged by the white clergymen um, to, to just be patient, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Just wait a little bit as we advance the civil rights movement. And so in this letter, he chose to respond against some of his criticism that he had received, unlike Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But let me just read you an excerpt from one of his letters, or from the letter. It said, perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at a whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you, have, when, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on the television and then see the tears welling up in her eyes when she's told that Funtown is closed to colored children. And see the ominous clouds of inferiority begin to form in her little mental sky and see her beginning to distort her personality by developing an unconscious bitterness towards white people. When you have to concoct an answer for your five-year-old son who's asking, Daddy, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in an uncomfortable, or the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you, when you are humiliated day in, day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, when your first name becomes nigger, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother are never given the respected title of missus. He says, don't tell me to wait. Something's got to be done. And so, man, they begin, to, they begin to march. They begin to get this movement that we know now as the civil rights movement. And they lead this movement. They begin to love their enemies, and they begin to push back the darkness in this culture, and they do it in a way that honors God tremendously. And listen, you may not have come in here tonight with systemic racial issues, although that's still alive in our nation today, but all of us have come in here tonight battling something. And it may not be systemic racism, but it may be systemic materialism. And we've all come, it may not be systemic racism, but it may be a generational uh, a bondage that is in your family that you find yourself running down this same path that you said, I would never. 
And listen, not all woes are created equal, but we are all created equal by woes. So there's this guy, his name's Dr. Rick Rigsby, and he was interviewed and asked, um, hey, hey, you're, a, you're an expert on the civil rights movement. Like, Rick, how did they do it? Rick's an African-American guy. He, he studied or he teaches at Texas A&M University. Whoop. Anybody? Okay, all right, that's my wife. She's an Aggie. Anyway, that's for you, babe. Anyway, and so he teaches there, and um, he, man, he's got an incredible video. You should watch it called Lessons I Learned from a Third Grade Dropout. Awesome. But he's asked this question like, hey, Dr. Rigsby, after you've studied this movement, like what, what was the secret sauce that motivated this movement? And he said, well, it's, um, it's complex. There were multiple pieces, but let me give you the main one. What sustained the civil rights movement what allowed these men and women to march and to peacefully push back the darkness in our nation. Now, it got a little crazy after Junior, after King was assassinated. But it got a little violent then. But underneath his leadership, Dr. Rigsby said, it, it was the way that they approached God and how they worshiped with one another. That he said that, that the, the, the rhythm was that they would show up in a town, Birmingham, and they would go to church on Sunday. Like, I'm talking, if you've ever been to African-American church, they had church, right? I mean, they threw down, right? And so, I mean, they, you better pack a lunch if you go on there, all right? And so they had church. And, 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 and so for four hours, they would come together and they would worship, and everybody was participating. And, and everybody was called, and they were, getting, they, were, they were singing and saying, God, we know that you hold what is happening in your hands. And if, if, and if men's hearts are going to be changed, you can do it. And they worshiped. And I tell you this story tonight because we're in a series called Fountains. We've been leaning into this verse. Our theme verse is Jeremiah 2.13. And it says this, that two evils my people have against me is they have forsaken the fountain of living water and they've hewed out for themselves cisterns or broken buckets that hold no water. And we've been saying, hey, like, God has life for you. And he wants you to have real worship. And he wants you to, to know this amazing, overwhelming love that redeemed you and bought you out of, uh, out of slavery. And we don't want you to chase the things that, that hold no water. And we want to see a generation of people. We don't just want to be Kansas City, the city of fountains, but we want to be paradigm, the ministry of the living fountain. And we want to see you come in here and lean into Christ and, and be able to go out and to push back against the darkness, that you would come here and you would learn what it means to be satisfied, I mean, deep soul satisfaction in Christ, and then you would go out. It wouldn't stay here, but you would go out and you would begin to push back against the darkness of our day today. To put it simply, the people that were able to push back this darkness, the civil rights movement, the way that they were able to do that is they positioned themselves underneath the faucet. And they said, fountain of living water, fill us and flow through us. And tonight, my hope is that you would be able to live a life in which you are filled with the Spirit of God and that you would be, we titled this message, Forever Fountains, that you would be forever filled with the fountain of life, the fountain of living water, that these people, they were, they were filled with the Spirit of God, and once filled by the Spirit of God, they could go out and fight the way of God, and transformation took place. If you're taking notes, write this down. The power to walk out the Christian life, this is so, this is so uh, pivotal, this is, this is critical, this is the secret sauce, all right? The power, y'all say power. The power to walk out the Christian life is rooted in being filled with the Spirit of God. Touch your neighbor and say, you gotta have the Spirit. 
And so Fountains Forever, we want you to have soul satisfaction. And then we want to begin to see traction in your change. We want you to have traction in your transformation so that you're not just hitting the running man of Christianity and not getting anywhere, but you're starting to get somewhere. And the only way that we're going to have the power to walk this thing out the way Christ has called us to walk it out is to receive the Spirit of God. That Jesus, he didn't do anything apart from the Father and the power of the Spirit. What makes you think you can? So if you're taking notes tonight, write this spiritual truth down, a spiritual truth number one down. It's the Spirit's presence. The Spirit's presence, just a simple statement, but let's unpack it real quick. So when it comes to God, we've got to understand that there's, there's really kind of, when it comes to his presence, kind of two ideas, all right? So you've got God's omnipresence, okay? That means he's like error-aware, okay? You know what I'm saying? He's error-aware, all right? That means he's everywhere, if you caucasian. Okay, anyway, so he's error-aware. And so God, like, like he's, he is in Pluto, he's in the Milky Way, he's in those other galaxies that are crazy, and he's here, like he's omnipresent present. He's everywhere. God is the creator. He is. It's a metaphysical reality. God. But then there's this special presence of God. The theologians call it the manifest presence of God. It's these, it's these times when we read about the Spirit of God showing up in a special way. And that's what we want to experience in this life today. We want to we acknowledge and we want to be reverent that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But I'm saying, God, I want a special dose. I want your presence to fall down. I'm not good with just dancing around the ocean. I want to dive into it. And I want to swim. And I want to feel your presence. And I want to experience, just like we were singing earlier, your presence, Lord. I want it to fill our lives tonight. Jesus, he says this in John 7. He says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He says, he who believes in me, notice the progression here, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's just pause right there. Jesus, he stands up and he's like, hey, are you thirsty? I ain't talking about like you got cotton mouth and you can't swallow. I'm talking about is your soul got cotton mouth? Are you thirsty? I'm not talking about like thirsty, like in the bed thirsty either, all right? I'm talking about like is your soul, some of y'all went there, right? Let me get you back, all right? All right, golly. Uh, anyway, is your soul, is it parched? And some of you come in here tonight and you're like, yes. I mean, I've tasted life and I've found that nothing will satisfy. Or maybe you think that something will satisfy, but let me just be honest, it, it won't. We've already looked at some people over, this, over the last couple of months where they tried so many things and it never satisfied. And so he says, hey, are you thirsty? He says, hey, come to me. I will give you something that you, you'll never thirst again. Come to me and drink. And he says, he who believes in me. See, if you want the Spirit's presence in your life, you've got to understand that Jesus, he's the faucet. He's the spigot, all right? And, and if you want the Spirit to flow in your life, you've got to be connected to the faucet. Some of y'all got the end of a hose trying to drink water at the hose, and you look up and like, oh, it ain't connected to the wall. You're like, shoot, let me get on over here and get it connected. If you're not connected to Christ, if you haven't placed your faith and trust in, in him as your only hope for salvation, then you're not connected to the spigot. You're not connected to the water. And you'll never have the Spirit's presence in your life. Jesus is the gateway. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No man receives the Spirit's presence unless you have a right relationship with Jesus. What do you mean, Chad? What I mean is this. Have you come to the, pl- the point in your life, like I did when I was 20, and said, God, I- I'm tired of playing games. 
I'm tired of being one foot in and one foot out, playing the hokey pokey of Christianity. And I acknowledge that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And I see with greater clarity the price that you paid on the cross when you died at Calvary to bring me liberty. And I come to you broken over my sin, surrendered. And I want to walk in the power of your resurrection. I believe you, God, but more than I believe you, I behave in such a way that affects that belief. And no turning back. And Jesus says, you've got to believe in me if you want the Spirit's presence in your life. And then he goes on and he says, but when you get that Spirit, when you get that presence in your life, it's like out of your heart will begin to flow rivers of living water. And he spoke concerning the Spirit, it says in verse 39, whom those believing in him would receive. Say receive. You've got to receive. He said, those believing him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But we are on the other side of this story that Jesus, he has been glorified and he has been seated at the right hand of the Father in a place of glory. And so now we stand in a time that when we put our faith and trust in him, he promises to send and seal us in the day of redemption with his Holy Spirit. The Spirit's presence comes into the life of a believer it shouldn't make sense. I mean, this, this should make sense. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will, not re- you will not have the Spirit's presence in your life. It's not rocket surgery, I like to say, okay? It's just simple, all right? Now, when his presence comes, man, it's incredible. Like, there's these moments in my life, in my history, there's been moments in, in our gatherings together as paradigm, man, where the Spirit has fallen in individuals' lives in special ways. And when this happens, typically for me, like there's been moments where the Spirit of God has so gripped me. I remember I was preaching at a camp in the jungle of Belize. And I was so overwhelmed by the, by the spiritual darkness in this jungle. And it was night one, and I feel like I'm preaching. I feel like I'm punching through a brick wall, and I'm bleeding in my knuckles trying to get through it. And night two, I'm punching, and I'm like, God is the only one that will satisfy you. He's your only hope. And then night three, I broke. And I remember getting done and just saying, Lord, Jesus, save them. If they want a relationship, amen. And I couldn't stay in the building. And I went out underneath a shade tree, sat on a rock, and I wept. Because I was so overcome by the burden and by the power of God's spirit. And some of you have experienced that too. Maybe it was tears because you were so broken over your sin. Maybe it was tears because you finally decided to give up and give in. I'm surrendered, Lord, whatever you want. And maybe it was good tears. Maybe it was, but when God's spirit falls, things happen. Conviction starts setting in. Joy may set in. You start to get a right view of how big God really is. And you begin to realize, I'm so small. And this is life-giving. Now, now, let me be straight. When it comes to the Spirit's presence, you and I, we're not in the driver's seat, right? Like, like you can't say, you can't um, get the right tattoo, sing the right song, and then be like, seven, seven, seven. All right, let's go, right? Like, we, we just, it's not formulaic, all right? God is, he, like C.S. Lewis says in the Chronicles of, of Narnia about Aslan, like, they say, is he safe? Like, no, 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 he, he's not safe. He's wild. He's un, untamable. He's God, but you can trust him. So God, we can't can't coax him to come. We just have to simply ask him. When it comes to his presence, I like to think about it like do. Y'all say do. 
And dew is like that wet stuff on the ground when you wake up in the morning, you're like, dang, I shouldn't have left that bread in the back of my, uh, on the bed of my truck because now it's all bad, right? And so it's dew, and, you know, it says in, it gets wet, it's dew, right? And, and, and last week we looked at a passage in Hosea 14.5, and I think it's fitting because God says that he's going to come to us like a refreshing dew. He promises the nation of Israel, he said, I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. So he says, hey, I'm going to refresh you like dew, but, but dew is kind of mysterious. That's why I like God's saying, hey, I'm kind of like dew, because God is a little bit mysterious. See, dew does what dew wants to do. But dew don't do nothing unless dew's got the right conditions for dew to do what he wants to do. You know what I'm saying? And so dew is mysterious. The conditions have to be just right. You can study this. The conditions have to be just right, and then sometimes dew show up, sometimes dew won't, because dew does what dew wants to do. And God says, I'm like a refreshing dew. And listen, you've got to get the conditions right, and if I choose to show up in a special way and bless you with my presence, I will. But if I choose not to, that ain't about you. You just do what you can do so that I can do what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? And I love this because God is a little bit mysterious. See, there's some mystery when it comes to Christianity, but this mystery creates in us a dependency and hopefully a desperation. Because we're saying, I dropped my phone and it was so loud. (laughs) But that don't matter. We're saying, God, move. And I want to set the stage for you to be welcome. But how do we do that? Point number two, if you're taking notes real quick, write this down. Spirit quenched. Spirit quenched. See, there's some clear things that we should not do that will kind of, I call it spirit blocking, like LeBron. We'll spirit block, you know, and we'll get them down and, and we'll boom, all right? And so the spirit quenched. So Paul, he writes about this. He uses pretty clear language, in my opinion. And he simply says this, in, in this in the Greek, it means this as well. It's not confusing. First Thessalonians 5, 19. Listen, it's a commandment if you're a believer. Do not... Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit in your life. He goes on to say this, that you are to walk in the spirit. Don't gratify the desires of your flesh. And then perhaps the most vivid image in my mind in Ephesians 4.30, he says, do not grieve the spirit See, some of you coming here, like, when I start talking about the spirit, you just got uncomfortable, right? You're like, man, I don't know about this spirit stuff. Like, I didn't grow up talking about this in my church. And some of y'all, like, you see the Holy Spirit is kind of like that weird uncle that's a part of your family. You're like, come on, really? Is he a part of my family? Like, I don't know, man. But, but yeah, I mean, like, I was told he's in. And then, but you just kind of dodge him because he just kind of makes you uncomfortable. He says weird things. I have that uncle. His name's Uncle Jay. We call him Uncle Ray. Don't ask questions. Anyway, and so we have that uncle. And a lot of you view the spirit like that. Or you're like, man, the spirit, that's just like a force. You know, and that's just kind of like it's an analogy, see, and um, you start trying to explain, and you, you can't really explain, but let me just be clear the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, He's a person because only a person can be grieved. Jesus had a perfect relationship with God the Father and, and God the Holy Spirit as a person. You and I can do nothing apart from a relationship with the Spirit of God. And if you want to quench the Spirit, willfully sin. See, the number one thing that quenches the Spirit, the number one thing that grieves the Spirit is when we willfully sin. And some of us, we've come in here tonight and we are relentlessly running after sin 
We are chasing rainbows, hoping to find a pot of gold. And I wonder tonight, if you could think of it this way, what's your favorite sin that you've brought in here tonight? What's that one that's got your number? What's that one that you're coddling and cuddling with? Maybe you can think of it this way. The sin that you're most defensive about, don't tell me how to live my life, is the sin that's most destructive in your life. And when we willfully sin, we are quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit. I like to think of it like this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of blood popsicles, kind of an urban legend, but Eskimos, apparently the way that they catch wolves um, that you know, are kind of encroaching upon their camps is they, they build this thing called a blood popsicle. You can see a picture of it behind me. It's kind of a morbid thing, but they take a knife blade, and then they, they kill an animal, um, and then they uh, dip the blade in blood, and then they freeze the blood, and then they kind of they hit that on repeat for a little bit. And so they get this nice, fresh, red blood popsicle, and, and it's, you know, it's frozen blood on the outside, but on the inside is a blade. And then they dip it in blood one more time, and then they go and they, they place them out on the, the fringes of their camp. And, and so what happens is that the wolf catches the scent of this blood, and he's like, oh, it's about to be, you know, grub down time. And so that pack comes along, and they see these like, what are these? I've never seen these. They're popsicles. They don't know what a popsicle is, but they're like, there's blood on here. And so they start licking that fresh blood, and then they start getting into, like, they start melting the other blood that's, that's frozen, right? And they start licking that ice that begins to melt, and they're just kind of, man, they're like, blood, blood. You know, they just, this is what wolves like. And eventually, their tongues begin to be, become numb, right? And, you know, you imagine you've licked a popsicle before, and so they get numb, and then, and then their tongue is so numb that by the time they reach the blade that's in the middle, they, they keep licking. They're like, man, this is so good. And they don't realize that they're licking a blade, and the blood that they now begin to enjoy is their own. And so eventually they're like, ah, 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 this is so good. Ah. Boom, and they just hit it, right? Because they have become so numb and they don't realize they're pleasing themselves to death. Sound familiar? I share that with you because that's a picture of us. Satan, he's no different. And it may not be blood that catches your scent, but it may be pay now, I mean buy now and pay later that catches your scent. It, it may not be blood that catches your scent, but it may be the scent of success that catches your nose. It, it may not be the scent of blood that catches your nose, but it may be the scent of Perfection. You feel like you got to have the like the Lululemon body, or you got to have biceps the size of, of of thighs, you know. And so you're just in there, just curling, right, getting it. And and I mean, and you think that oh, if I got the perfect body, if I am a yoga master or I, the gym is my whatever, and you think if I'm perfect, then you know, and and you just <laughs> you just own it. Or maybe it's the scent of casual sex. And so often we come in here and we treat each other like we're sex toys. Like we're objects to enjoy, and we're not people to love. And listen, casual sex always leads to casualties. Because your soul weaves together with that person. 
And when you weave something together, then it's torn. What does that leave us but broken? And so we're guilty of going after blood popsicles spiritually and in our life. And we run after these things and, oh, if I could just give you a vision, if God would give me a vision of my own sin and the things that I'm running after today, thinking I'm going to have life in those things and the things that you're running after today, because, I mean, if God would give us a vision, then we would become aware. But most of us are like the wolves that are just ridiculously licking on those blood popsicles, and it's called insanity. And we see our neighbor drop dead. Licking on that popsicle, we're like, man, what what happened to him, right? See, it's our pride that anesthetizes and deadens the pain of our stupidity. Let me say that another way. Pride is the anesthetic that deadens the pain of stupidity. And so it's your pride that is deadening the pain to your stupidity right now. Like you're going to be different. Like you'll stop when you want to, or like it's only hurting, or like it's only your deal. Like when I, when, I, when I smoke crack or I do meth, it's only just me. I'm not hurting anybody. Or when I run after these things and I spend my money however I want to spend, or I, or I, I throw racial slurs towards those group of people, like it's, it's, it's just something I do. And our pride is an anesthetic that deadens the pain of our stupidity. And listen. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. He was there when you were conceived. He saw your mother and your father's uh, sperm and egg come together and then meiosis to mitosis and he began to breathe his ruach, his spirit, and give you life. He was there when you came into this life. He knows your death date. He knows your plans. He knows purposes. He knows you more than you know you. And every day when we willfully sin, it grieves him. I have so much more for you, my child. I have so much more for you, my son. It's a blood popsicle. It's going to kill you. And we sear our consciences to the fact that there's a God that loves us. See, I don't think most of us have come in here tonight, and I don't think we wrestle with whether or not God is real, but I think that we do wrestle with whether or not God is good. Because of the way that we live functionally. And so we come and we say, God, I want you to, I want you to fill me. I want you to move inside of me. But then we quench the spirit when we live that way. And so at point number three, if you're taking notes tonight, we want to we uh, see the spirit quickened. We want to see the spirit quickened. I love this promise that takes place in Zechariah 13.1. Zechariah promises that there is a, a fountain that would come and he would cleanse sin. And this fountain is, is Jesus Christ and us being filled with his spirit. And so may we walk in the reality of this promise that a fountain would come and he would cleanse us from the inside out, that Jesus promised that a fountain would come and, and that there would be a river of life flowing from our heart. And Paul commands the believer to be filled with that fountain, to quicken the spirit of God in your life because you can do nothing apart from the spirit of God. 
And so many of us are trying to do it on our own. We're trying to find soul satisfaction from a hose that's not even connected to the, to the faucet. We're trying to find power in this life like a lamp that's trying to turn his light bulb on. And like He ain't even plugged into the socket. we got to be connected to the Spirit. Because at the end of the day, when we approach God, we don't need so much more of his grace. We don't need so much more of his mercy. We don't need so much more of his forgiveness. We don't need so much more of his power. We don't need so much more of his stuff, his theology, his knowledge. We need more of him. We need to be filled with him because when we get him, the benefits come. And so we quicken our spirit and we're filled with his presence you think, how did, how did MLK, how did he lead this charge? How did he convince hundreds, thousands, millions of people to follow him and peacefully push back the darkness and love their enemies in spite of what was happening in the tragedies? Because I'm telling you, man, that whole thing, it boggles my mind. Like, like you, you kick me out of a pool, I'm going to lose my cool. But you set a dog loose on my child. You put a cross on fire and and throw bricks in my window. You put a bomb in my church. I'm coming for you. I'm Mel Gibson, patriot in the creek on yourself. Like I'm Old Testament, like I'm coming for you. With what I know about God, I I still think I'm coming for you. But not this man. He literally loved his enemies. And he was persecuted. And so many were persecuted alongside of him. But the way that they sustained this movement was they came before the faucet. And they said, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come feel this place and feel this atmosphere. We need you. We need your presence. And when they got his presence, they got power, they got revelation, they got leadership. But they came and they said, Holy Spirit, fill us. Ephesians 5.18, if you're taking away one verse for the night, this is your verse right here. Ephesians 5.18, this is why I asked you to turn to Ephesians 5. It's this one verse. It's incredible. It's rooted in wisdom, literature, language that Paul's writing to this church. And he says this, Ephesians 5.18, he says, do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Amen. I got uncomfortable. Someone like, I don't know, man. I like wine. But he didn't say vodka, though. <laughs> All right, we're good. We're good. We're good. Just wine. No wine. I don't even, I mean, I don't like wine, but I like, you know. Let me just be clear. That means alcohol, all right? And he says this, hey, hey he says don't get drunk. He's, he doesn't say don't drink because it leads to all kinds of ruin. He says don't get drunk. When it comes to alcohol, listen, if you're of age, you have a legal right to drink. If you're not 21, you're breaking the law. You can't justify it, all right? I could fight in our country. I know you can. I know. But, you know, it's just, just don't break the law, all right? And, and he says don't get drunk because drunkenness leads to all kinds of crazy. I, I've never been drunk personally, but I've seen a lot of drunk people. My, my dad, if you don't know my story, he died as a, it was his birthday just last week. And he died about five years ago. He drank himself to death. The first funeral I preached was my aunt's funeral. She was 51, died of cirrhosis. A few years before that, my uncle died. He was 46, died of cirrhosis. My dad had stage four cirrhosis. He died of a heart attack, thank God. Because cirrhosis, when your liver fails, it's awful. 
And so he says, hey, don't get drunk because that leads to ruin. Listen, alcohol can make a decent servant, but it makes a terrible master. And if, and if you think that you can play games with alcohol and not get burnt, you're, you're a fool. And you may not believe that, but just, just live a little bit and, and then go and, and learn from the people that are chasing that bottle. They'll tell you. And so Paul, he says, hey, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. You're like, Paul, why are you even going there? And he says, but instead be filled with the Spirit. This word filled, uh, it, could be, it could be translated as drunk. And so he's kind of uh, juxtaposing drunkenness with wine versus drunkenness with the Spirit. This word filled in the Greek is the word uh, pleru, and it means to be filled, controlled, intoxicated, thoroughly influenced. And you see here that Paul says, hey, you, if you're a believer, you, gotta, you, you need to be filled. This is not an option. And so when you go home tonight, and you lay your head on the pillow tonight, you pray this one simple prayer, God, fill me with your presence. When you wake up in the morning, you say, God, fill me with your presence because just like your stomach's gonna wake up on E in the morning, your spirit's gonna wake up on E in the morning. And we wonder why our church doesn't have the fuel to usher in transformation in our society is because we wake up as a church on E on the regular and we ain't gonna get down the road until we come before God and we say, God, Almighty God, you saved me, but your spirit, I need it today. It's a command, be filled. Notice that it's also passive. Like you, you can't fill yourself. Like, like you can't just like buy some Chateau Spirit from the store and then you just pour it on. Just, you know, you can't do that. You, you got to come and say, God, I am empty. I need you to fill me. I need you to come inside of my life. Give me the power to, to resolve the conflicts in my life. Give me the power to go see this boss who I want to dick. But God, give me the power to go do that, you know, and to do all that. I mean, God, give me the power to say no to my sex drive because my sex drive is like a spooled child and it needs discipline, not indulgence. God, give me the power to wake up and to go back to my family, even though they're my blood. Like, I don't know, God, they're kind of crazy. But give me the power to go do that. Listen, God doesn't give you hypothetical grace. And so you wake up every morning. And, and you don't conjure up and fantasize a negative future about what he will or will not do in your life. You say, today, God, I need your presence. I need your power. I need you to come in my life like a refreshing dew. It's plural. The Spirit of God is not just for me. If you think I'm some sort of like super spiritual, like I have a cape that, and like the spirit wakes me up in the morning, like this is not how it works. Like listen, when I get shot by the, the enemy's arrows, like I, some, like I feel like my shield is burning right now, right? I can't, and, and I bleed. And there's nothing special. Like listen, the spirit of God that has indwelt my life, he wants to fill you too. God does not discriminate. He don't care how rich, poor. He don't care how ugly, how good looking. He don't care how tall, how short. He don't care what color. He don't care where you've been. He don't care what's been done to you. Nothing will stop him from moving into your neighborhood. Nothing will stop him from moving into your house. If you would come and you would yield and you would open the door when he stands and knocks and you would let the brother in, he would come in and like Joanna Gaines, he would do a whole new makeover in your life. It's for everybody. And then we see here that it's, we got to have this on repeat. If you were to read this in the original text, it's kind of read weird, and so that's why we don't translate it this way, but it would literally read like this. Instead, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
what are you trying to say? Like, what I'm trying to say is that, that, that it's this activity, this, this continuation that, that you come, just like we wake up, God is, he has hidden his messages and his meanings into our physical existence and our physical life. There's a reason why you and I could just like go to Golden Corral and crush tonight, and we'd wake up tomorrow and be like, man, I'm hungry. God's trying to tell you something. Dependency is the goal in his economy. You wake up on E, and so we have this thing on repeat. The Spirit of God fell at Pentecost, but then just two chapters later, they needed the Spirit of God to come again and give them boldness. Paul, the greatest theologian in the New Testament, the Spirit of God fell in his life, but he came to God over and over and said, God, I need you to move. And that's what we've been asking to do since we started Paradigm. We said, hey, we want to see a generation who is now on, on a mass exodus fleeting the church. We want to beckon them to come back because there's a God that loves them. There's a God that has a plan for them. So Josiah Jones, he pioneered this mug about four years ago, moved up to KC, and his vision collided with the vision of this church that's got the AC on tonight. And they said, hey, let's get it. And so there was a remnant, there was a small group of millennials that said, hey, let's start. And some of you are here and you were there from the start. And God began to move in special ways. And we begin to see his presence come. We begin to quicken his presence in our life. And God has been doing some awesome things, even her night on Saturday night when we had over 100 women gather. And you women, y'all did macrame and y'all got in God's word and pulled them labels off, right? And you did your thing because we want to see God's presence come into your life. Some of you are like, that's, that's great. Like, yeah, I want God's presence in my life, but like practically, how do I do this? Like, what's the pragmatic approach to being filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, you, you got to understand that there's, there's some issues in your life, right? Like, there was issues that, that you didn't even ask for. And so let's just imagine that this is you right here. That's you. You get it? That's why the label said, y'all can't see it, but it says you. Y-O-U, you. All right, I want you to imagine that you were born and you had some, what, what the Bible calls you were born with iniquity. That means that you just had some bent. Some of y'all were born angry. Like you, did, you didn't have to try to be angry. Some of y'all were born liars. You didn't even have to try to be a liar. Some of y'all were born lust-filled. You, weren't, you wouldn't even have to try to like other people. And so you were just born with some stuff. And then you got to an age where you started acting on some things. And so you were already born with some things, but then you said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and fill my life with some other things. And these orange ping-pong balls, they represent the dysfunction, the sin that we have willfully put into our life that we have we have done things let's just be honest me included we have done things that have grieved the spirit of God I have looked at things on the internet I have been places I have done things that I knew were wrong but I chose to do them anyway sometimes at some point in my life I plan my sin and my forgiveness prayer all at the same time like look I'm gonna go do this and then but God by Sunday (laughs) Sunday after I did that I'm gonna be real sorry and we did that at the same time. And God's like, no, 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 that's not how you get power. That grieves me. But God, are you coming here tonight because hopefully you're wanting to get a little bit of God's presence in your life. Get the spirit. You want to quicken the spirit. Be being filled with the spirit. How do you do it, Chad? Here's what I'm telling you. You got to get in worship. What it says right after that text when he says, hey, don't get drunk on wine because that's going to make you crazy, but be filled with the spirit. And he says, and then sing spiritual songs. Raise your voice. What those men and women were doing in the civil rights movement is that they were singing and crying out to God, fill us. And so we come week in and week out and we sing songs to Christ and we raise up the banner of Christ and we we raise up our voices and we say, God, fill us. Because listen, the book of Psalms says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we sing songs to Jesus, he begins to fill us because he likes the way we sing. Some of y'all don't like to sing. 
But singing's easy. Buddy the Elf told us it's just like talking, but just louder. And how weird would it be if, like, you came in here and, like, you quoted, or how weird would it be if you went on a date and you quoted a John Legend song to your girl? Hey, all of me wants all of you, all your curves, all your edges. But when you sing it, it's like, I'm going to get some chapstick out. Come on. There's something special when you sing and that God likes to rush into that. But worship is more than a song. Worship is a savoring. When you enjoy what God's given you and you say, God, thank you for this ice cream and thank you for marriage and thank you for mountains. It's also a, it's also sermons, it's listening, and it's also a sacrifice. Worship is so complex, but we got to worship, and God says that, that he'll fill our worship. We also got to get in the Word. You want the Spirit of God to come into your life? Get your tail in the Word of God. God's Spirit wants to activate his Word in your life. And so you've got all this sin in your life, and you've come, and you said, God, fill me with your presence. I can't do it on my own, and so I'm going to get in your Word. I'm going to read day in and day out. I'm going to not just get a little Word and get a little juicy on Tuesday. I'm going to get in the Word and get it in on Wednesday. And I'm going to start seeing some transformation take place in my life when I get in your Word because your Spirit is going to fill my life. See, what happens so often is that we try to take the tools that we have in our life and excavate the issues in our life, kind of like a spiritual self-help mentality. And we start trying to get them all out, but then we don't even succeed in that. And God's saying, hey, if you come to me and allow my spirit to fill you, what will happen naturally is I'll begin to transform you. But you got to get in my word because God is wanting to inhabit the thing that he implemented, that he instituted, and that's his word. But see, some of us, this is where we are content. And we're like, you know what? I, I ain't like I used to be. And I got in the Word. I've been going to paradise. I've been three times now, God. And I sang that one time, and then that dude, he spoke, and I wrote down like two notes. And God, you starting to change me, but I'm good. Like, I am so good. And so you're going out to the lake, and you get your, you know, you get on your bikini, and you Insta-story in your bikini, and, and you're like, well, and then somebody called you out in your community group, and like, hey, is that the best to see? You're like, don't judge me. I ain't like I used to be. But you ain't where you ought to be. And so we get in the Word, and we start worshiping, and then we think that we can just excuse some things like, oh, it's my birthday, so that gives me a license to go crazy. Or, or, or we think that, that, that we can just go home and like, don't nobody touch my entertainment. Don't tell me what to watch, what not to watch. And so we live a life where we kind of are, are half in. Like we get worship and we get word and then that's good. And listen, when you get a little distance, all you can see is the orange ping pong balls, right? And some people, all they can see is your inconsistencies. Listen, God never made you to be a hypocrite. He didn't make you to be perfect. But when sin is surfacing in your life, what you do with it matters. And so the third thing that we need to do in order for the Spirit of God to fill us is that we've got to get the right walk. And when we allow ourselves to walk in the Spirit, like Paul says in Galatians 5, and we allow our walk to match our talk, and we begin to live a life in which we allow the Word of God to transform our lives, I'm telling you that the things in our life, they begin to get out of our life, and God is able just to kind of scrape off the surface those issues because He's saying, hey, come be filled with me. You don't have to struggle anymore. You don't have to wrestle. Come be filled with my Spirit. 
Paul, it's that famous passage where he says, hey man, walk in the spirit. Don't gratify the desires of your flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, evil, sorcery, dissensions, jealousy. He goes on this long list of all these things, but he says, hey, but the fruit of the spirit is evident. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And he says, and you need to crucify your flesh. You put your passions, you put your former ways on the cross, and you said, God, fill me. It's like that old Cherokee chief that came to his son and he said, there's, there's a war going on inside of me. The son said, what do you speak of? And he said, there's, a, there's a, two wolves inside of me and they're battling. One wolf, he's filled with anger and rage and sexual immorality and he's filled with pride and one wolf, he's filled with joy and love and peace and peace and patience and kindness. And they're battling. And the little boy asks, well, Dad, which wolf wins? He said, the one that you feed the most. If you want the Spirit of God to fall into your life, know Christ. and Worship Christ. Get in the Word walk by the Spirit because the power to live out the Christian walk is rooted in being filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these men and women tonight. And as we sing this song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, I pray that we would declare it like never before. If there's a man or a woman here tonight that doesn't know you, I pray that they would, they, they would trust you. God, that they would see your love. They would see the way you died. They would see your power and the way you rose from the grave. And they would trust you. God, I ask that you would fill us in these moments and you would help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. And so as we sing tonight and declare your glory and your majesty, I pray that we would simply be obedient to the command to be filled by your spirit. That we would come to you as empty vessels. That we would invite you to come into our life. That we would understand that your presence is not for special people, but for all people, because you call us all special. And that we would put it on repeat. Your glory in Christ's name.